Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Would you stand with me for a moment, please? Let's just pray for a second. Father, I can speak words, but only you can speak to hearts. So I'm asking God that in this time that your Holy Spirit would instruct us according to your word. Open our hearts and our minds to your peace and to your grace and to transformation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We begin a series today entitled A Song of Hope. We'll be taking this all the way up through Christmas and it will be in two parts. This first three-part section is going to be very personal. The next three parts after that is going to be um, a little broader. Uh, Doing a song of hope in the midst of fear. And basically what you've had already this morning is the message in microcosm. I'm going to attempt to flesh this out a little bit for you. But between Michelle's song and John's reading, you really have the core of what we're going to be talking about here today. The most highlighted passage in The Hunger Games, which was a phenomena, both as a series, book series, as well as as a movie, um, when they checked with Kindle, it was this phrase, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. This is the most underlined by a large margin of anything else that was in the book or in the series. And it's easy to see why. This has uh, captured a generation of thought already. This trilogy depicts adolescents who are rigorously trained by adults for desperate but meaningless life and death competitions. And it resonates with a lot of the students that were reading it. There's these deep uncertainties that they increasingly feel in an extremely insecure world. Insecurities about their status, their identities, their self-worth. They're trying to gain more and more control over what is increasingly an uncertain future, a time of war, conflict, and confusion. Jennifer Lawrence, interestingly enough, who was the star throughout that entire series, struggles herself deeply with anxiety and insecurity. In a 2014 interview, she said this, in middle school, there are all these peers judging you and you're never good enough, never wearing the right outfit, saying the right thing. I want everyone to like me. Who doesn't? Then you grow up and become famous. It's in the same thing, multiplied by a billion. When she saw herself on a recent TV program being interviewed, she had a full-fledged panic attack. Ms. Lawrence said this, quote, all of a sudden it was like being hit by a train, this realization of how many people are looking at me, how many opinions there are. In her worst moments, she's certain that her career is going to come crashing down. People are going to get sick of me, she said. I'm way too annoying. But if people want to start a backlash against me, she says, I'm the captain of the team. As much as you hate me, I am 10 steps ahead of you. The average American child today, according to psychiatrist, exhibits the same level of anxiety, child today, the same level of anxiety 
as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. This has gone off the charts as far as how we are as a society. We've entered a whole new age of anxiety. Just recently, uh, a woman named Sarah Fader, a 37-year-old social media consultant in Brooklyn who has generalized anxiety disorder, texted a friend in Oregon about an attending visit. When a quick response failed to materialize, she posted on Twitter to her uh, followers this, quote, I don't, want, I don't hear from my friend for a day. My thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore, she wrote, appending the hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. Thousands of people were soon offering up their own examples under the hashtag. Some were retreated more than 1,000 times. And we can say that Ms. Fader may have struck a nerve here. According to Alex Williams, who wrote an article, Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. If you're not following Prozac, it was for depression. Xanax was for anxiety. If you're a human being living in 2017, uh, which was when this was originally written, and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. This has actually fueled something called anxiety consumerism, which is the rise of a number of products, from fidget spinners to essential oil sprays, meant to salve our restless minds and calm us down. Uh, based primarily on a Google search volume, the investment publication Seeking Alpha wrote in November that sales of weighted blankets, weighted blankets, a product initially developed for people with autism and PTSD, would be a thing for this year. There's such a high demand for the product. An explosion of products, particularly featuring CBD or the non-psychotic marijuana-derived product, um, whose proponents say, you know, induces calm, has made itself ubiquitous. You can find it on practically everything nowadays. New York Times, a CBD startup founder, compared the effects of the compound to a warm bath, melting the tension away. Thus, cannabis, the quintessential chill-out drug, has turned into a $6.7 billion industry. 16, $6.7 billion. Millennials particularly say anxiety is no stranger to us. We've been dubbed the most anxious generation, surpassing our bosses, grandparents, and others in the mix. Anxiety is a driving issue within our country that has increased and hits practically every age group there is. The, the issue of anxiety means greatly troubled by uncertainties, solicitous, uneasy, troubled in mind, um, troublesome, but it particularly means a narrowing, in other words, to choke or squeeze. And so someone who's feeling anxious can have this sense that their life is being squeezed literally out of them. This is affecting a significant portion of the people that are in the room here today. You're either dealing with this issue or you will be addressing and dealing with someone with this issue. This is both a psychological, spiritual, and physical condition. And I will put a note here that in some situations, medical provision is what should be prescribed. And if you're struggling with this and have not had a conversation with your physician, you need to have that conversation. But there are some who have gone that route and still have not found relief. Or there are others that we can trace it down and realize that it's not uh, a physiological or medical one, but rather it comes to something different. And so as part of our conversation here today, I want to walk you through a series of scriptures. One of the things we did recently is had everyone take a scripture and mark out their favorite scripture. And if you haven't seen it yet, you'll see it when you leave here today. We put all those on a wall outside there.
Now, I was telling the uh, um, uh, Journey United group that I was actually somewhat surprised. I, I did it in this way because there's something else that we want to do that we're going to talk about in a couple of months. So this was just a tester phase. This was not like, this is what it is. Oh, that's all it was, putting up on the board. There's something else very significant we want to try and do. But I had to have a sense of how we as a congregation engage this. I didn't know, for example, if we'd get 500 John 316s or if it would be spread out. Instead, it was actually very diverse, and you'll see that on the board. There was only about five or six scriptures that were actually repeated, and that's okay if you were one of those that repeated. That just means it was particularly strong and powerful. There was one particular, I'll talk about in a moment of time, that was repeated 11 times, the most significant number of what was there. Put those out there for you to take a look at, uh, because one of the items is just to step out there and realize that scripture can speak to our spirit and to our soul. It can calm us, it can quiet us, it can direct us, and it gives us wisdom. Those things that are written within the Bible are not just simply words or poetry that were created by men. Every aspect of this has been inspired or breathed into by the Spirit of God. If you read the Bible with open eyes, you realize that it is basically a song of hope from Genesis to Revelation. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that means. But today, we're going to deal with this whole issue of anxiety. Those things that suddenly preoccupy our minds, that fill us with fear, that drive us to despair. One of the key passages, if we're going to explore this at all, is Philippians. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he says in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, don't be anxious about anything. You want know, to sit here and slap him right upside the head and say, that's easy for you to say, Paul, okay? You and God are just like this, and you have this sense of his presence and all this other stuff, and, and you just simply say to me, and the same resentment you could have even this morning towards me or anybody else saying this phrase to you even now, don't be anxious about anything. You don't understand anything about being anxious if you say that to me. If you don't do it and understand, I can't control it. It's something that drives me, that motivates, that, that overwhelms me. But he doesn't stop there with just a cold statement of don't be anxious about anything. He walks the passage on further to us and says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The first thing he says is if you're dealing with anxiety, is that you should take this to an issue of prayer. Not just of an issue of prayer, but it says petition. So not just repeating something over and over again, but engaging God in spelling out maybe in detail what it is that you are anxious about, what it is that is disturbing. Talks about thanksgiving and presenting these requests to God. If you look through the entire book of Psalms, frankly, a significant portion of the Bible, there's not one book in the Bible that doesn't deal with suffering of one kind or another, where individuals were going through either depression or anxiety. Some of the key figures in Scripture struggle with this. Almost all the Psalms start in this low place, but they move eventually to a place of thanksgiving. Our problem is we stay fixed in one place and we spin in circles. And he's saying, stop the spinning for a moment. Engage in prayer with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. He says, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. There's something about engaging God in prayer. There's something about thanksgiving 
that releases the peace of God within us. And that peace guards our hearts and our minds. Now, part of the reason why it guards it is this. The peace of God is not just the idea that I've got peace. God's spirit comes in and I'm suddenly peaceful. In a way, this passage links with what David is saying in the 139th Psalm when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The peace of God comes in large part when we have reconciled ourselves to him. If we are engaging in sin on a constant basis without any regard for God's word, then anxiety is part of our lives. Fear of being found out, fear of the ramifications of that sin, all those things are part of it. But if you have taken those things to God in repentance, if you have sought his forgiveness, if you're striving within the midst of this to do the best that you can in the process of that, then you have a peace with God. This ultimately comes down to whether you trust God or not. You may not even trust yourself, and that's part of the problem sometimes. Sometimes I think that our prayers should go something like this, exactly how David's saying in this passage. I don't feel like I'm worthy of what you have, God. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. I'm dealing with my feelings. I'm asking you to search my heart. You know me. I lay myself bare before you. You know me. And if there's something to be judged, judge that. But if there's not, then grant me the peace of your forgiveness. And let me walk in freedom from this point forward. Trust him in that and release that before him. When you know that you are actually at peace with God, because you've repented of your sin and surrendered that to him, there is a peace that then guards your heart and your mind that constantly wants to go back. Your mind wants to chase that thing back down again. The peace of God arrests that. Your feelings want to chase that back down again. The peace of God arrests that. Now, it's not just enough, according to the writer here. And there's a little twist in this whole Philippians thing, incidentally. It's not enough just to pray and, and to seek God's peace but there needs to be some degree of focus. We need to reset what we dwell upon. A lot of anxiety and depression comes from the fact that we take hold of a single issue and then we dwell on it. We soak on it. We let it chase and pursue us. What we focus on, what we choose to dwell on. And that's why he goes on after the seventh verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Then he goes on, finally, he says, brothers and sisters, after you've prayed, after you've petitioned, after you've laid those things down, after you've sought the peace of God through reconciliation, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, he says, or seen in me, Put into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. Between our news feeds today, and between all the different screen time and everything else chasing on from corrupt leadership to corrupt media to everything else you want to put your finger at, we have so many things that can occupy us and chase us down, that can fill us with anxiety and distraction. 
He's not saying to ignore that and, and pull in and just go, la, 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 it's all good. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, hear those, examine it, but choose what you will dwell upon. Set guidelines. We have a guideline within our house. And um, one of those guidelines is that basically nothing controversial is, is considered after 10 o'clock at night. Recently, I've decided to move that down to 9 o'clock at night. Sometime, probably by the year's end, I'm going to move that to like 5 p.m., all right? But nothing controversial because I'll tell you what, my mind attaches on stuff, and, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. We have our elder meetings on a Monday evening, and, and they're good meetings. They're really good meetings, but it generates things in my mind, and so it's rare. Our meetings will finish at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, but it's rare that I get to bed before 2 a.m. on those nights. Not because of anything that's disturbing me or anxiety, but just my mind starts chasing this idea, that idea, and what can happen. And I'm, I'm alert and I'm wired and, and ready to do something. And everyone else is sleeping. And, and some people don't like it when I call them at one in the morning, <laughs> which I don't understand. You need to put guides and guards around your life. Somewhere, I have no idea where, but there is a bass thrumming coming out from somewhere. I said it last, you hear it, don't you? Last week, I heard it, and you guys all thought I was crazy at the end of the service when I said that. Actually, I said it in the second service, I didn't say it in the first. And everyone, I said, does anyone else hear this bass thrumming? And everyone says, no. And I'm like, okay, afterwards, a few people come, yeah, we heard it, okay. There's something that is an undercurrent that is thrumming through right now, and they'll track it down eventually, probably, and figure it out. It's, it's probably something that's been missed in, in one track on the board, or it's very possible that there's an evil person right outside this wall with this huge boom box. It's just going boom, boom, boom. Undercurrents distract us. They don't let us hear what should be heard. In first service, I heard that going on, but I overrode it as I was listening to Ryan last week. In second service, I couldn't override it. It drove me nuts in second service. It drove me crazy. Recently, this past week, I was on a phone call with our uh, um, building or, uh, finance person, with Julia. And as I took the call, um, I'm, I'm hearing something back. I thought she had her kids talking or I had something else going on, or maybe a television, but it was really distracting. Now, at one point I said, hey, I said, do you have something else going on there? And she's like, no, I'm fine. And then I, I, it clicked in my head and I flipped through my phone real fast and I realized I'd been listening to a podcast before she called. And I thought it normally cuts off when another call comes in. It didn't cut off. So I'm hearing her and I'm also hearing this undercurrent of this other voice going on. Yes, I am going insane. <laughs> and there's angels in the balcony and I see them now. There are undercurrents that draw us in and take us down. And unless we are very purposeful in our focus, or take very direct action, because I don't hear it anymore now, 
We get pulled in by those things. This is why the writer of Philippians is saying, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, start with prayer, start with meditation before things of God and drawing in that piece of reconciliation, but then specifically target what you're going to focus on. Don't ignore the reality of what exists. We're not saying that. But what do you raise up to focus on? What do you listen to? Whatever's pure, It's hard in a world today that is so defiled to focus on anything pure. Everything gets twisted. Whatever's lovely, there's so many ugly things out there. Admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on those things. Whatever you learn, then put into practice. Then he says, that peace is going to be upon you. Jesus says in John 14, 27, that he left peace with us. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid as a result. If you're leaning into this kind of peace. And we sit here and say, okay, that was Jesus. And this is Paul. And, and Paul, you know, do you know where and when the book of Philippians was written? But let me take you one step further. Because there's a passage of scripture that we lean into. And it's okay, but it's actually kind of not read properly. Philippians chapter 4, 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now this bugged me because this is the NIV translation. But the original NIV translation says I can do everything through him who gives me strength. King James says I think I can do all things, right? And I was bugged and I, I, I was having the scripture and, and I had had it down as everything. And, and I, I asked my admin who had translated these things over and it was the, it's like, you got the wrong scripture on this. And she let me know, I didn't know this. Evidently the NIV put out an update on the computer. And so they have updated the NIV. Now, the update is actually a more accurate translation. We have used this pastor to say, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I can do everything. I can achieve anything. And the athletes use it. I can do all things. I can kill that guy. I can throw that back. I can do, I can do all things, right? I can do everything. The new translation actually gives it more precise. I can do all this, it says through him, who gives me strength. What is all this? He has just said, what? I've achieved great, wonderful things and conquered the monsters of my mind. No, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I know what it's to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Whether it's doing the great things or little things. Now this particularly has impact when you realize, have any of you ever, by a ticket or otherwise, do not raise your hand, had an encounter with the law? It's a disturbing thing to see that little light flashing behind you. It's a disturbing thing to have someone call you or pull you over that has authority. You feel this threatenedness, this this anxiety that comes with encountering that kind of authority. Imagine you're actually in prison and you have no control over that. It's in this context that Paul is writing when he says, don't be anxious about anything. He's not saying, he's sitting here going, I'm processing this myself. I'm in jail right now on a good chance of getting executed and there's no public defender and there's no constitution to lean into. It's just the emperor and his boys. And Don't be anxious though. And he says, I've learned this. 
good or bad, whatever the circumstances, to not let an undercurrent or, or, or an understatement pull down, but to stay focused on who Christ is, to stay focused on his love and grace in my life, to focus on those things that are positive, not in a Pollyanna shallow fashion, but with intensity and purpose. I can do all these things that gives me strength. If you're struggling with anxiety, you do need to check out the physician perhaps. You need to look at some other things of that nature. But sometimes, even in those cases, there are limits to be found. And for those that are believers, we're told to look in prayer, to guard our hearts and minds, to have focus and clarity in what we're choosing to do, to not listen to the undercurrents, but stay focused and clear in what we're doing. The most popular passage that was offered up on the scriptures that we had out there was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I won't give you the full treatment here today, but we pull that scripture out to, to, to affirm, and, and I don't want to make someone more anxious by this, but, but this was offered in the midst of exile. People were not going to find the relief that they wanted, but there was a promise that God was with them in the midst of this, and that ultimately it was all going to work out for the good and all work out right. But it's not always in the moment that we expect, in the moment that we desire or want. At the end of the day, it comes down to whether we trust God or not. We say so often we don't trust ourselves. How many of you have ever flown in a plane before? Just out of curiosity. Most of us have. There are some of us that will never fly because it makes us very anxious. Um, those of you that have flown before, maybe you've incurred turbulence at one time or another. That's a disturbing thing. I don't know of anybody that's on the plane when turbulence is and they're going like, wee, you know, it's like fun. <laughs> I used to say with my parents, they were flying around when they were in the 80s still and stuff like that when my dad was alive. And they were more than ready to go and they had no anxiety at all. I told them they'd be the ones, if the plane's literally going down in a crash, they'd be the ones in the back row going, wee, all the way down because they were just... They were ready for that. They were, they were long. They were ready to go. You get in a plane, you feel that turbulence, and it's scary because you know you're, you're, you're up, and then suddenly you're down. Suddenly, there's a jerk, and you're just absolutely convinced that the, the wings are going to fall off, or 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 they're going to lose control. And and in your mind, you're imagining probably that the that the the the, the pilots are up front, white knuckled, holding on to the yoke of the plane, and going. We can get through this. We'll make it somehow. That's not at all what's happening, according to if you talk to pilots, on the big commercial liners at least. They're saying that there's really nothing in regards to that kind of turbulence that's going to take the plane down. In fact, from a, a, a thing that was done actually a, in, in, in a Business Insider report in, uh, two years ago, there was an article, a pilot explains what it really means when there's the pilot's perspective. Uh, while the passengers are fretting about the turbulence, the pilots are having a casual conversation that's being handled. We'll never fly again, I understand. <laughs> but you need to realize that, that you are far, far safer in that kind of a vehicle than practically any other vehicle you're going to take. <laughs> I did it for, I think, I have flown a plane. I did it for, I think, a total of five minutes. And um, the person actually who, who allowed me to do this is in the room today, and, and they're still alive. <laughs> and it was a private jet, 
And after dropping off some people, uh, he gave me the controls for a minute or two. And I have to admit, that was really twitchy. I'm sitting here going, and I make a move, and it, the whole plane starts to move. You know, I was in a death dive. He pulled us up. No, we didn't go that far. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, and it was, a, it was a rush a bit to fly a plane, but it, it gave me a lot greater peace when I released and he took it back again. I was very ginger with what I was doing, concerned that something I would do would break the plane, that somehow I'd make it stop in midair and go down or something else or another. When it was back in his hands, and I'm watching him, who'd been a pilot for many, many years, handling the situation, at a piece, I know this person. I've known this person for decades now. I had no fear, no concern. Even if we'd hit turbulence, I don't recall if we did. If we did, it didn't bother me at all. When you know the pilot, when you know their experience and background, it takes a lot of that out. This morning, you're dealing maybe with anxiety. Some of that may be on a level that um, is organic. Not to dispute in any way anything of the medical, but I, I, I think even on the organic level, God can address that. You're so foolish if you're not checking that out, but God can address that. What are you focusing on and dwelling on? What undercurrent is distracting you and pulling you? What limits have you refused to put in place around that? And if there are issues that are causing anxiety because of something that you have done wrong or separates you from God, why don't you this morning take that to him, even as it's talked about in the scripture, and release that over to him? Go like David even this morning. Search me. God, know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. I'm uneasy if I've offended you. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then resolve that out. You can take active steps today to not hear the undercurrent that's pulling you away and distracting you, but to hear the overarching theme of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, which is not a song of anxiety or despair, but is a song of hope that shows up in practically every verse you come across. The 46th Psalm says to be still and know that I am God. It talks about him being exalted, but it says be still and know that I am God. The song that Michelle sang was written by a woman I believe named Sarah Reeves. She wrote the song after a period of retreat time for herself because she was so anxious about being in front of people. The number one fear and anxiety is being in front of a group of people. Talking with them. Opening yourself up to their comments and their criticisms. It was out of that that this song that she sang came forward. We have so many fears today in a post-truth world, so many different things that can pull us under, distract us, and take it aside, and young people more so than anyone else. Most of our young people have never known a time without war, without conflict, 
They've grown up with parents that survived the recession and the uncertainties that drive all that. The crushing debt loads. There's so much of that that we can focus and dwell on and say, yeah, but there's real cause, there's real reason. Yes, there's real cause and there's real reason. And we can run around and fidget and we can, we can go back and forth and we can do everything that we need to do to try to fix this in our head and our minds and, and all of that. Or we can stop. We can stop. We can stop. And focus. Choose what we dwell on. Choose what we will feed upon. We can be those people that give a kind word to someone else that lifts up someone else who is anxious. But it begins with simply what John read earlier. Being still. Being still. But not just being still, being still and quieting our heart, ignoring the undercurrent, and knowing God, and knowing that He's in control, and knowing that He ultimately is working those things out best for us, and that His love and His grace is present. There is an undercurrent that wants to pull you down and distract you. But there is a song that is louder than that undercurrent. Tune your ear to that. Focus and put guidelines on your life. Choose a course. Next week, we're going to be talking about a song of hope in the midst of despair. There's a passage of scripture I want to read to you as you leave here today, and there'll be those available up front for prayer. Um, so feel free to, to come forward if you want to. One of the earliest and greatest singers of hope was Isaiah. In the ninth chapter, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Father, this morning, it is only by your Holy Spirit that our anxieties are truly released. And for many of us, it's a everyday process that we need to engage in. And so I pray right now, God, that you'd let your song of hope, you let that light in the darkness begin to shine in the lives here today of those who are struggling with anxious thoughts and anxiety. And that, Lord, you begin to heal and to restore and to fix their minds and their hearts on you as a guard against these things. As we lean into you, Lord, we trust you, regardless of the turbulence. Bring us home safe, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen.